This episode of the only podcast about movies was recorded a little differently. We were invited back to MAGFest 2018 to discuss a very special topic near and dear to our hearts. So as with all of our live recorded episodes, please excuse any audio anomalies, hits, or the fact that Shahir's not here. Other than that, enjoy the show! We got both what I requested, deafening silence and then a cheer. I know. <laughs> My name is Matthew Kroll, and this is the only podcast about movies, MAGFest edition, specifically, as we're calling it, The Student Becomes the Master, Gaming's Effect on Hollywood. Uh, we now, so my other half, for those of you who have listened to the podcast before, uh, Shahir Dowd could not make it. He actually, and this is a true story, uh, he finally got his call back to be the Black Power Ranger. Uh, he went, and that's the, the true part of that story is he was called in to be the Black Power Ranger uh, for a callback when he was younger for the original series, and then he officially got axed from the entire thing because he didn't make the cut. But in his stead, we have two very lovely people filling his uh, New Zealander shoes. We have me and who else? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you did say one other lovely person. I said so. two other lovely people. Right, one besides me. I, I just oh, right. We have James Bort now of Extra Credits, everybody. <laughs> and also we have uh, the one, the only red of Sicalia Pictures, VFX editor to the stars. Totally not Shahir. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, what we want to do today, and we will be asking, uh, basically, we're going to give a couple thoughts on how, well, for the first thing, we all kind of know by this point that the games industry is outpacing Hollywood. Okay, you're underselling it. All right. Okay. okay. There, the entertainment industry is, was traditionally comprised of like three entities. There was film, television, and music, right? Then this like baby industry emerged out of like this weird... 8-bit nonsense. <laughs> and uh, it, it kind of took number one by threefold as of 2016. We're talking about a magnitude of like $81 billion out of a total market cap of $120 billion. So we're talking about a huge industry at this point. It's, I mean, it, the, the footprint is massive. And we've, we've seen sort of how... Cinema, or going to the movies in general, right, has tried to maintain... It's been trying to pull out all the stops, and we're going to sort of talk about it sort of threefold and what's working, but mostly what's not working, and then exactly what Hollywood can actually learn from the games industry uh, in the way it tells stories. Obviously, it can't go as far as being interactive because movie, but what it can actually do I to... thought we fixed that problem with the last panel. Did we? Yeah, I appreciate oh, yeah. it. James, did you fix that? that? We did. Yeah, we did. We yeah. fixed that. We fixed it. Okay. Yeah. So anyone else got stuff oh. to talk about? Well, or no? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so um, basically the question that we're trying to ask is, uh, is it time for a cinema to evolve to stay relevant as an industry and an art form and how it can be done? Uh, the three angles we're actually going to talk about, I'll just bring up the first and then Red, you can sort of jump in. And James, I need you. I need you, James, to jump in and say how you think the game industry is doing the things that we're talking about and if there's any ways that that could somehow cross-pollinate over 
Yeah. I need you to I need you to snipe your own industry. <laughs> well, no, it's it's obvious. You guys just need more loot boxes. Well, yeah, I just a hundred percent more loot boxes. Yeah, you literally. Get, characters in the film will only be visible to you once you spend a dollar ninety nine. Maybe, but. You can reskin them. Yes. That, yes. Oh. It's player choice. Oh. It's viewer choice. Wow. No. Okay. But the, <laughs> well, we're done. Right. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're done. done. Panel's finished. Panel over. That is amazing. Uh, I'm just gonna go call Universal right now. <laughs> well, the first thing, Red. We solve a lot of things. <laughs> the first thing is how we acquire films. Uh, basically, we were tossing this around and like uh, BitTorrent. Yes, the only BitTorrent. No, there's. Uh, there's kind of interesting ways. So, like, what theaters, I'm sure you've noticed. Uh, well, first of all, how many people still go to the movies? Oh, there you go. Right. Even once a year, most of the room raised their hand. Again, audio medium, I need to sort of tell that to people that are going to eventually be listening to this. Uh, again, it's a lie. There was just no hands. There's no hands. I'm putting crowd noise in. Right. If I there's hit this no button, room here. If I hit this button, will people boo? <laughs> hey, look at that. We Holy crap, your magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Audio is magic. Um, but theaters have been trying to trick us back into it because the market share has gone into your living room, either games or even watching films at home. I know it. my, the, my setup at home, I have a much better time watching films than going to the movies half the time, and it's and, and just it's the evolution of how it's gone down. They've tried 3D. I, is, how many people are fans of 3D? Audibly can use cheer for 3D. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think there was a fourth one. Thank now, let, you. Let's, okay. let's go down the line of tricks that they're trying to do to get you to go into the theater that you supposedly can't do at your house. How many people have been to and are fans of 4DX? Oh. Have you heard? Okay, one, two, two. Uh, two people are kind of fans of 4DX. 4DX, for those of you that don't know, I think Regal is doing it. Yeah. Uh, it's basically they try to turn... Films, tech, a lot of times big action pieces. You're not going to see, like, Call Me By Your Name in this. But, like, it, it tries to put you in, like, an action-adventure mindset by moving your chair around and, like, punching you in the back with, like, soft spikes and spitting water that I'm sure is clean in your face. Well, and the funny thing is, this is something that we did with, like, the Tingler back in, like, the 50s yes. and 60s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just recycling all the all the Well, uh, 3D as well is right just now. a recycle. Right, yeah. right, just multiple recycles, yeah. yeah. I mean, so is VR, for that matter, in our industry, but... <laughs> Time, man. Uh, but then, and the other sort of thing that theaters are trying to do, which I think is, I guess, the closest that I'm interested in, is kind of making specialty theaters or specialty rules for going to the movies. So, for instance... So you can uh, get your drink on while watching... Uh... Theaters are starting to serve alcohol for in, in the States now. Uh, the Alamo Draft House in particular, yeah. you know, and there's theaters that are doing the model, you know, serve food. I like Alamo personally because they have a set of rules... How many people have been to the Alamo Draft House? Yeah. So, like, you can't show up more than five minutes, uh, five minutes late to a film. They, you won't honor your ticket or something like that. They're, they give you a warning if you're talking or on your phone, and then you will get booted. Uh, in a general theater, I went to go see uh, The Shape of Water, mm. uh, and there was a screaming match between assigned seats, a woman who was in the wrong seat and a woman who, was, who bought the seat she was in, and it turned into the ugliest entire theater sort of experience. They had to restart the movie because this drama Wait, played through the trailer. that wasn't the, the uh, Cinema 4D experience? Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the <laughs> Cinema 4D experience. Okay. Um, so they're trying all this different stuff. Uh, 
Has, has any of this, at least to begin, drawn either of you back into wanting to go to the movies more? So just to clarify, are we talking specifically in this panel about uh, what the movie industry can learn as what I see the modern movie industry catering mostly to a home entertainment environment, a Netflix, that sort of environment, or are we talking about how we get people back to cinema? Did you just enter the cheat codes to our own discussion? You did. The, just like went to level three for like no reason whatsoever. <laughs> well, I'm actually trying to make this as hard as humanly possible for you guys. You guys have not leveled all the way up to three. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing actually, we're, we're going to be talking about both. This is sort of the specifics oh. of how we, because initially when a new film comes out, mostly, unless you're talking about the Netflix model, and we will be talking about Bright. Uh, okay, good. The, the, the way we see films first is at the movie theater. That's what Hollywood would like that us to do. That was the traditional. Most of the time. I mean, even um, Dunkirk, uh, they were talking about how, um, how um, the, uh, they didn't want you to watch that, like, on, and, and rightfully so, okay, like, well, on let, your let's phone. Let's just talk about, like, directorial sure. intent and, and things like that. No, no director really wants you to watch a movie in an environment in which they absolutely can't control the vertical, the horizontal, and everything. I mean, there's going to be no artist of any kind that, because to be an artist you have to... What I'm saying is, is there's ego involved here. <laughs> sure. Okay? And nobody... Nobody wants you to experience their art except exactly has how they want you to experience it. But all art students and basically any living individual, actually, I'm going to go with even even you know just everybody. <laughs> and no discrimination here, no zombies included. Everybody knows that art is not solely defined by the creator. Um, so I think that 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 argument that. What we hear is like, oh, we should see it in the theaters. It's a, it's a little bit of BS. Though, as a filmmaker, it does look best in most of the theaters because that's what we time it to. That's what we were expecting. We were expecting you to have black walls sitting in a black cave next to a bunch of strangers with popcorn. And we're kind of like, we're honing the experience for that. But I, I think there's a lot of BS in it, too. I, I, I don't think uh, uh, many films will be less emotionally resonant you know, at home with like you know my cat sitting on my head while right. I'm watching the it. optimum uh, <laughs> resonance conductor yeah. for emotion. So I, I kind of call it that's, that's a BS thing that we just kind of throw out there. Yeah, uh, honestly. No, I I mean I agree with that. The thing that I was uh, going to sort of transition into is so we've talked about all these different you know Hollywood wants you to see it there. They're trying to get you in the theaters. The things that I feel like we uh, James you talked about on a couple panels I think even last night uh, late at one a.m. maybe on the EC extra extra panel. Uh, At least, yeah. Yeah, uh, we were talking about, um, and you did a whole panel on it specifically, the the prices and how the price of the sixty dollars price of a video game, how it stayed stagnant since what was it? The it's been about two thousand four since yeah. Uh, movie ticket prices have just been slowly climbing, uh, and they're trying to offer you more stuff. They're trying to offer uh, things, but it seems to be things that most people don't want. They haven't found like it's. <laughs> The incremental prices are there, not not loot boxes per se, but still things that people are getting. You know, Fandango just mailed me a Thor Ragnarok one sheet for some strange reason. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Does anyone actually do? Does it, who uses Fandango or any of these sort of online buying ticket apps? Do you get the free? Like it's always like free movie poster, and I'm like, what? How? Like, has it ever happened? 
Yeah. So okay, you read the only you're one. You're the only I've got like one. Twenty of them. So if anybody wants to catch <laughs> up with me later in Brooklyn, and it only took a film that came out in November. Yeah. Um, like I just got it like last week. Jeez. <laughs> but like I feel like there's and even with different sort of gaming pricing models, like indie games do cost less or or whatnot. There there's something some people have said. And I don't know if I particularly agree with this. That like maybe not every film should cost the same. I mean, different theaters are they set their prices, but like. Should an indie film cost less depending on its budget than in, uh, Infinity War? Like, and it all depends on sort of what people are like willing to pay. That's sort of an idea we've uh, floated that doesn't quite, uh, I don't think that lands entirely, but a lot of this panel is going to be ideas that work well on paper. It's going to be a hot mess. Yeah. Um, the other thing, though, uh, sort of aside from how we get films, and the thing I think we can really start to uh, learn from games in particular is where we are experiencing the films. We touched on that a little bit about like watching phones or at home, but like gaming has now basically uh, pushed forward very quickly streaming culture. You can now watch people, I mean, you can watch the extra credits uh, stream on Twitch. You can watch any of your favorite Twitch people playing games, having fun. You get to interact with them. The, the, the art that they are doing or the, or the experience they are having, you are now a part of. Uh, and there's no real, uh, there's no real correlation that we can find in that level of interactivity, but the way that we actually are experiencing Story is now the same type of thing being beamed directly to us via Netflix, yeah. etc. Can I open this up a little yeah, bit? Yeah, please. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to take this idea and open up a little bit. Uh, one of the things I think many people enjoy about Twitch is that it becomes a collective experience. Yes. Okay? And there's, a, uh, there's an analogy there. Uh, when you go to a theater um, and you're watching a comedy, you don't laugh by yourself. You laugh with a bunch of other people. There's kind of this unspoken agreement that we're all here enjoying the same thing in a movie. Twitch, it's, it's much more verbal. You can actually, you know, chat in, in, a, yeah. in a chat box. But I, I think that there's there's a large, um, there, there's an opportunity here to maybe update the, the theater experience. Because um, we like watching movies with friends. But I have four friends in total. None of them live in my borough. Only one of them live in my state, I think. So I would love to watch movies with friends uh, across, across the way. You know, like, th- I think there's an opportunity here. Didn't Xbox try that? Yeah. What's, it, what's an Xbox? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, is that an Xbox? It's the box thing? your phone yeah, came in. No, Xbox did a thing when Xbox Live first launched with maybe, with, with, or on the 360, uh, they did a thing where there was something like you could watch a film. Am I crazy or am I, does anyone else remember this? Yeah, you had this your little avatar and you could have four people and like sit in a theater with them. And, and could you talk? Was there voice chat? I believe so, yeah. I, I Talking never, over a movie is awesome. Yeah, I know. That's the other thing. But like, like, like I feel like that's the direct... Uh, Mistake, like I, I think. Well, what the you're direct saying, translation, well, nah, yeah, no, yeah. But I want an experience like that well, somehow. It's up to smart people, not me. So this, it's interesting to me because this actually brings me sort of to what I think the main thing that film can learn from games. Uh, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but a lot of the film marketing I see is talking at the audience, whereas in games, we the goal is to get the audience talking. 
right? Mm, yes. um, and to create a conversation by the community. This is why we have community management. This is why we have forums. This is why we're involved from game companies in the forums and why we run the forums um, to have this space where the community is having that discussion, where the community feels part of the art and the thing, versus when you see a trailer or uh, a, especially press releases from movie companies, it all seems them telling the audience mm. uh, either about the movie or how they're supposed to think of the movie instead of getting the audience to talk about the movie. No, you're touching on something that, that actually you, you sparked a thought, just one thought. One. Um, yeah, I, I only that's have the capacity your, for one thought. I was going to say, that is your, your quota for the entire panel. That, that's it. Um, uh, I'm done now. No, uh, last night you said uh, that the audience is also an artist. Yes. In, in uh, for games. video games. And, and, I'm, and I sat there and I wanted to disagree with you. Because historically, the audience on any visual medium has been the audience. I think, sadly, cinema as an industry, not as as an art form, has moved away from this. And we are being told what to think, partially because we've stopped thinking. uh, No, I apologize. Partially because many of us don't think critically about our films. We will read the yes. reviews going in and we'll say, oh, I liked it or I didn't like it. The trailers will be like, here are the best parts of the film. It's already digested for us. You know what? I mean, this is insane and it's not correct. What I miss is going out to Denny's or a coffee shop after a late night film and talking through it with my friends. Yeah. If your cinema actually had a yeah. diner, right? Like, and you knew everyone there was ready to have this conversation, yeah. that would be rad. That's an excellent idea. I hope AMC is listening. Uh, no, because that's so... This, this is a little bit of a side thing, but it's it 100% exactly what you're thinking. I personally love going to the movies by myself. I get to experience it, and it's wonderful until the end, and I'm walking out, and I see everyone who's there with a, a significant other or a friend or a group, and they're all chatting on the way out. And I'm just like... Oh, I missed out on this. Like, this is the, the moment that it's all, like, in my brain. If there was a designated yeah. place to get a cup of coffee or a drink or food just right after, like, literally, like, exiting through the gift shop, like, you have to sit down and order at least an appetizer or some shit. <laughs> like, that would be... Your ticket comes with a random appetizer? Yeah, you get a random appetizer. <laughs> You don't get to pick, and then groups will form based on what type of French fries are at the tables that you like. That's awesome. That's a really good. That, see, I knew. Design. I knew you would see. You're fixing everything, James. Uh, something that, something that. Um. So even with um, the way that things are now. How do I put it? Well, uh, the the bright uh, analogy we were talking about earlier. Sure. Um. For okay, I'm sure everybody here knows about bright, but I'm just gonna break it down in case there's like me who 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 doesn't know about bright. Um. This is going to go well, right? So uh, Netflix is notorious for not giving uh, any numbers, any metrics by which they measure their success. It's infuriating for traditionalists like myself, even though now I'm actively employed by Netflix, to figure (laughs) out what it is, uh, what factor it is that the audience determines uh, um, success. Nielsen has attempted to give us an approximation of uh, the ratings or how often people watch or what the estimations are for like live consumption of this. So 
We know that Bright was greenlit literally three days. Bright 2, the sequel, the search for more Bright. <laughs> Brighter? Was, Brighter. Yeah. It's like, I can't even write. I don't even know why I'm, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> um, it was greenlit essentially three days after Bright's release on Netflix. Um, we're talking about uh, three days there's not enough time for pre-development or you know, script doctoring or even calling the actors at that point to see if they want to do a second. They've already anal- analyzed this stuff, and if it only took three days of audience watching um, for a projected $100 million budget, mm-hmm. sequel's going to be that plus 35% easily, if not 75%. There's a real power now. I think that's been brought on by streaming, um, by Netflix, by Amazon, by Hulu, by Twitch, by Let's Play, all these things. The audience now has become the de facto curator about future content before you even know what it is. Those metrics are being hidden from us. Yeah. We don't have the metadata to understand our own choices. We have to start being very selective about the things we binge watch. Otherwise, we will be creating a situation where Bright 14 will be releasing in your home very, very soon. Well, uh, it kills me some of the things that they have recently canceled on Netflix and yet are going for Bright 2. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure that they understand. I'm curious to see how Bright 2 will do because it's the Internet. A lot of people want to see a train wreck, but they want to see it once, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, this is something that everybody heard this is one of those things that everyone was told was so bad, it was hilarious, right? I'm not sure anyone wants the or sequel was it? to that. See, now, uh, my adventure partner, Anastasia, brought up a good point. Mm-hmm. I watched it, and I did not stop watching it. I wasn't in those first three days, but I watched it. I, I'm, I would, I'm willing to bet that a lot of people here, maybe not in this room, but in this building, because it's a big building, it's a safe bet, watched <laughs> it, thought it was mediocre, uh, like, oh, okay, but, you know, it had problems, didn't turn it off, and watched the full thing all the way down to the credits. Well, it's amazing to me that, like, that Sensei got canceled, and this <sighs> got, right. Um, oh, sorry, did I voice too, too loudly there? Well, Not loud so enough. I'm so upset about but Sensei's cancellation. Me too. And I think that part of the problem is that we live in this weird space where we've gotten television that is sequential and narrative where you've got one story and there's a lot of people who wait until the whole thing's out so they can binge watch the whole thing and they're missing all that audience and their metrics. One of the things we struggle with in games is we actually had to have a whole period where we learned that the surface metrics are a lie. Right. And I'm worried that from what I see of Netflix behavior, they have not got that lesson yet. It seems like they're taking the first steps looking at gaming and and streaming culture in particular and being like, oh, this number is big. Right. We like big numbers. I'm going to have to interrupt for just a minute. The camera is over there. Yes. Hi, Netflix. It's me, (laughs) Red. You're employing me for a very long time, and I really do appreciate that. So everything I'm saying here is just like opinion and speculation. I still love you. (laughs) <laughs> I think you've covered. I think you've covered yourself. Okay, great. Because yeah. I just wanted to make sure. Of course, filmmakers are moving to Netflix. Right. Yeah. The deals that are being signed, and these are huge deals. I'm, I, I happen to have the privilege of working on one of the first big Netflix-produced pictures. Um, 
which probably won't be released to like the third or fourth one, but uh, it, it, it they, so you're talking Bright Five. Yeah, yeah. You're working Bright Five. Yeah. Bright Five. Executive um, producer, Bright Five. Netflix has, an, actually, and Amazon, too. They have their own studios. They also they also make acquisitions. So they're acting as pretty much as the new tech studio, exactly as you would imagine how it works. But they're going out, and they're approaching directors. They're approaching the director's production company, saying, we will pay for the, uh, the costs up front, like a studio, and we will distribute, and we will distribute primarily on Netflix platform. And if we believe that it's going to be super hot, it will also be released in theaters. That's the deal that they're striking. Did you just confirm that you're working on the super hot movie? Yeah, well, I was just dropping hints. That's okay. all I'm saying. All right. That would be... <laughs> It's great, because every time you look at the screen, the movie stops. Yeah. (laughs) See? More ideas. Thank you very much. Uh, You only can watch it in your periphery. Um, It's all innovation. It's all... It's it's still Will Smith. It's still Will Smith. (laughs) Will Smith is contractually obligated to be in it, whether you're looking at it or not. Uh, (laughs) A very polygonal Will Smith. Yeah, 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 yeah. and so, with all these things being said, uh, we're kind of getting into sort of, this, these are all the things of how we're going to pay for it, yeah. how they measure what these things will be, how we're going to watch it, but real quick, and then we're going to get into uh, what I've dubbed a table time, uh, we're, the, the films themselves and the way that they interact with our emotions and just the way that we, we witness them. Witness me. Yes. (laughs) Needs to change as well. Um, And I think that films are starting to look at games and trying to be a little more... um, Seeing what tricks they can pull, because they can't obviously pull the full interactivity. Uh, And I know there's some intermediate stuff. We were talking before this how, like... um, it's not films, but Telltale has the interactive thing they can do with their games uh, in large groups. If we were playing a Telltale game here, you could all be on your phone, and you could like. There's a voting system as to what dialogue trees happen with whatever. Like that's. It's kind of like an interactive film, but it's basically group play. Um, but but the films themselves, for instance, like y- we've we've seen at least recently, uh, it seems like people are trying to play with perspective a little more, like. Uh, obviously, the <laughs> the Doom film back in the day tried oh, so to good. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, tried what was that yeah that's Hardcore where we're I was gonna jump to so Doom Henry. tried it first and it was eh, for like ten minutes or whatever Hardcore Henry which how many people in the in the room have seen Hardcore Henry okay nice so so that's a film that I find is very polarizing uh, in 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 the fact that for instance I really enjoyed the experience of watching Hardcore Henry. It's a for those of you who don't know a fully uh, first person sort of adventure movie. Uh, we did a review on it. Go back and check out that episode if you want to hear the co-host who's the much more stuffy. Uh, did Shahir not hashtag like not it? Shahir? Yeah, yeah, hashtag none of us are Shahir. Um, and Shahir's not here. So the. We, we talked about it a bunch, and it's an experience that I personally loved, and I walked out of the theater being like, yeah, that was cool. I haven't watched it again. I think it wouldn't work at home well. I mean, I do this personally, and it seems like uh, the majority of uh, people that, I, I, we always say voting with our dollars, it, it, it wasn't a huge financial success that's not going to be the future of how they're trying to take things but it is an it was an interesting exercise in they did a lot of great trickery if you're interested in sort of uh 
sort of the idea of if this would work, this is probably how it, they would do it. Like it's a very sort of interesting tech piece. Uh, something though that really got me. Uh, there's a rather polarizing film uh, that came out this year called Mother. Did anyone see Mother? Darren okay, Aronofsky few people. Thanks you and uh, you and yeah. you. Lowercase M exclamation point. Uh, this is no spoilers, but it's a very as it goes, intense and sort of visceral experience. And obviously the visuals do a bit, uh, do a lot of that work too, but it gets you closer to the, the feelings that they want you to achieve by basically, it's a, uh, Jennifer Lawrence is in it, they adopt for 80, 80 or 90% of this film basically a third-person perspective. You are watching from behind Jennifer Lawrence experiencing what's happening in this faux horror, not really horror, allegorical film. And it's interesting, I was watching it and I felt very drawn into it and I was like, oh, like, I'm ex like this is a perspective that I am so incredibly used to from playing games that you, you see every once in a while in a follow sequence in a film, but never was it uh, so apparent to me that this is the reason I am buying into this story and feeling so much resonance from it is because I'm not only close to the person, but I'm witnessing what is happening to the person. It's like, it's like a weird intermediate, obviously, first person, third person, to get me like really into it. Because now I'm with her, I'm this ghost on her shoulder like through the entire experience. Which, again, is this movie you will either love it or hate it and no one is wrong. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, you bring up an interesting point, and you're talking about there a perspective shift. Yeah. But more broadly, we're talking about uh, uh, visual language cues that have been developed sure. inside yeah. of another industry. Are there other visual language cues that uh, shorthand that we can use to help tell stories inside of the cinematic landscape? While I'm giving you time to think, oh, I will crap. just ramble a little bit about a story. Um, so we all know the word trope, and we know what the word trope means, and we use it very kind of casually when we talk about things. And often it's in a very, uh, it's in a negative assessment of something. But tropes are important, um, especially to cinema or any story-driven, or any story-driven um, story uh, medium, because it's a, it's a cultural shorthand. I don't want to get all like young on you, but... Uh, you know, we have these common uh, uh, collective points of references that we use. And uh, since film is both picture and sound, thanks, talkies, um, <laughs> we ha we, we've developed a lot of shorthand. But I feel that the development of the shorthands, the, I don't want to say the intellectualism of film, but let's just say the, the, um, the user, uh, the audience, uh, vocabulary. You're talking about like literacy, film literacy? or Yeah. yeah. It hasn't expanded. It, re realistically, it hasn't expanded since the 70s. Um, and I'm wondering if that's because uh, we're playing it safe and uh, there's another medium out there that has maybe done it a little, uh, done, done more to push it forward. Maybe the student has become the master in this yeah. sense. So with no further ado, gentlemen. So in terms of visual... Um, stylistic choices. I, I am not sure since filmmaking is not my forte, um, but there's a bunch of very strange things we do in games, right? Uh, interestingly, so 
we have the cutscene, right? Where it is completely stylistically different than the thing that just happened before. And yes, we also take away interactivity a lot of the time, whether or not that's for the best, but we do a total break. You'll see cutscenes that all of a sudden become anime, that become true CG instead of like, uh, and pre-rendered CG. And they tell the audience, this is the part you're supposed to pay attention to, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we do this thing that I've never seen in a film where it just spontaneously totally breaks the style that it was in, jumps to a completely different style for two minutes to tell the audience, listen now, and then like goes back to doing the thing it does. Um, so that's certainly a weird place I was trying to think of. Is there an analog in film? There are uh, uh, the tail end of, say, uh, well, actually, the people inspired by the French New Wave started doing breakaway things like that, but it never really hit uh, big. I'm trying to remember. There's a... This is where you need to hear. Um, yeah. No, well, is, is there something to be said things. about films that, like, um, I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, but where there's a character moving along and you're watching. Uh, uh, most, okay, most John Cusack movies where the, the story will be happening and then it turns, he turns and breaks the fourth wall and starts talking to you, like, I'm thinking High Fidelity or yeah. whatever. Um, like, True. The, like, that's sort of like the action's happening and, yeah, it wants you to watch it, but then, I mean, this or. Uh, you know, he looks at the camera and he starts telling you what he's really thinking. Um, that could be something like that, but I, again, I don't know if it's, I don't know. Right. The what? That's true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, Ranishi's backstory. Right for for again audio audio listeners we've got a lot of a lot of download. One thing I'll I'll say real quick and then uh, we will get to table time. Uh, there was a call from the back from Run Lola Run about switching to animated sequences that definitely grabbed your attention uh, far more and kind of I mean I, 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 it's been a long time since I've seen Run Lola Run but uh, that I feel like it was almost like a grabbing your attention is almost like a like a reset button to kind of get back and uh, well actually here we go that ties into this. Uh, who saw Edge of Tomorrow? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Game mechanic, right? That's game mechanic the movie. Right. Uh, that, that they took it and made it into a story point, which is, that seems like a one-trick pony. I mean, Run Little Run did it to a, to a point, and a, a couple other movies have as well, but the, that's, a, that's a mechanic that they took from video games. So... Uh, more than mechanics, we're talking stylistic things. Yeah. One of the things I found super interesting, which I didn't think was possible until uh, recently, but in games, because you have so much time in the environment, we do a lot more environmental storytelling, mm -hmm. where the background of the scene will tell you as much as the action in the scene. Um, but uh, recently watching um, Legion, uh, there was a lot of that going on, right? And to figure it out, um, Black Mirror mm -hmm. does this a ton, right? Where if you ever go back and rewatch the Black Mirror episodes after you know the twist, you'll look at those things and say, oh my God, there's all this stuff like implying and setting this up going on in the background. And then you'll realize, I might not have consciously seen it, but my brain did, right? Like the first time through. Uh, and I think if we can train an audience to see more of that, that might be an area where we can sort of, in games we use it to pack more information per second, right? Right. Or to pack information into a sequence in which an action sequence is also going on. Now, how are they able to really pull that off? Let's just dig into that for a minute. Okay. How, how are you able to layer that much information in? Especially, my job 
is to actually remove as much information as possible. <laughs> as an editor, I have to distill a scene down to its essentially whatever is the most resonant portion of the story. And I'm, con I'm confused how, how a game is able to do that where, you know, have I been doing it wrong this entire time? Yes. Oh. All right, good, soft. Moving on. Uh. <laughs> and again, thank you, Red, for coming. Uh, <laughs> you've been voted off. Get back up here. Uh, the last thing, the last film I'm going to bring up, because I think it's a, it's a weird thing, and then I'm going to put it to you to fix this for us, uh, is who's, who's seen uh, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle? Wow. Okay. I, was, yeah. I like the fact that as many people in this room saw Mother as saw Jumanji. Yes. Well, that, that gives me hope. Yeah. Um, Does it? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, equilibrium? How many people saw the crossover movie of the two? Oh, no. Yeah, there we go. One. In your mind. Uh, Jumanji does the Edge of Tomorrow thing, but like explicitly laying out the rules of a video game to its audience that might not be entirely literate. There's a scene in the film uh, where they're in a van once they're like trapped in the game. And, uh, they explain what an NPC is. They explain is. what an NPC is because the driver of the, the, the Jeep or whatever just keeps repeating the same shit over and over when... And they use it for comedy and it's fine. Uh, but that's literally just like calling out game. Like, but that's, I think that's, that's also a part of audience education. You know, sure. Now, as an example, my mother knows what an NPC is. She would be irritated at that scene, but my aunt of the same, actually younger. Okay. S sorry, Mom. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I'd be more worried about that than Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Who's, is, ne is Netflix younger than both your mother and your aunt? Uh, it's, you never discuss oh, making corporations ages in public. Um, but it, I, I think we're, we're, we're still in this weird, weird age of, of like, you have to educate an audience. You, you know, you, you, can, you can, if you go out expecting everybody knows everything, um, you're going to fail. Every once in a while, you have to belt out the, the cheap seats. It's a joke, and I don't think it works because it's an awful joke. Sure. But I understand the thrust behind it. Which was, you know what, there's going to be a good chance that the, that the parents watching with the kids aren't going to necessarily know that this guy is an NBC right off the bat because they don't ha they're not expecting that in a film yet. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Not saying it was done well. Right. Uh, okay. So now we've just sort of just been thinking of things on our own off the top of our dome here. Uh, if anyone would like to come take a seat at the table with the microphone, we don't have a stand. So I was like, Ooh, it's going to be like a, it's going to be like a pitch meeting, uh, so much, uh, on how you might, uh, fix this problem for Hollywood. Uh, and we have, we have a person coming up right now. Welcome. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> So uh, my name's Dale. I'm a, actually I'm an aspiring editor myself. Excellent. Um, I wanted to go back to when you mentioned about getting the same experience watching at home than you as or even a better experience. I think I have to disagree with you on that. I'll use Last Jedi as an example. Okay. There's there are two shots. The scene where and I'm anybody. I, not seen it yet? <laughs> okay. The safest place to spoil The Last Jedi is MAGFest. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, just, I just want to make sure because, yep, you know, nope. all, all of a sudden... And this you know, podcast things, spoils everything. Yeah. I'll get things thrown at me. Um, when 
the light speed jump through mm -hmm. the the dreadnought. There's a shot in that that is just magnificent and when made better with scale. Yeah, for sure. and made better with scale. I'll also go to Rogue One, the scene of them on the beach watching the blast come mm -hmm. across across the water. I've watched that at home several times. It is not nearly as magnificent as it was in the theater. Right. Now, is that because, uh, and especially more so the, the light speed jump from, mm -hmm. from me and my experience when I saw it in the theater, is that because of the visceral sort of engagement of everyone else in the actual space you were watching it? Like, I know it's done, it's done well, mm -hmm. but the effect that that actually had on me and the rest of the audience it was that moment of sort of deafening silence because there's no sound in that in that part. Well, yeah. And okay, I come from an art background as well, so seeing the contrast of the light, the the mm -hmm. light of the of the the backlash from the the light speed jump, watching the bits and pieces of the ship fall away, and you just have this huge cone mm -hmm. triangle of white light. It just it was just a beautiful, beautiful shot. I literally looked looked to my wife and my daughter, and were I was just stunned with with it. Um, and I feel like those are things that, which brings me to my next point, that you were saying about it. Studios playing safe. Now, do you think that's an issue with the studio system? Before that, just real quick, um, oh, yeah. because I think it, I think you're correct, right? I think all those shots mm -hmm. are much better in the theater. I was just contrasting that to um, some of, how many of you guys have seen Mr. Robot? All right, so some people, there's a bunch of very beautiful shots of Mr. Robot that only make sense on TV, and I wonder if it's because of what medium the filmmakers are actually filming for, Well, exactly, for, which is right? what I was getting to yeah. in, the, you know, in the fault of the studio system, play, trying to play things safe and do what they know works. Yeah, there was this awkward period in the studio system where um, everybody was shooting, everybody was filming 166, but actually framing for 133. So all the action happens like dead in the middle of the film, and uh -huh. then like there's a set that hangs off to the side for like no reason whatsoever. You're like, what, what's going on? Um, and dead actually, they space. continued that trend actually all the way up into the 185 era, um, mm -hmm. which is where we are now. Yeah. You'll see even the even traditional ground glass. Um, it still gives you uh, the old schools. It still gives you the one thirty three safe area, yeah. except now it's been one seven eight and one eight five overlap. So like you don't see as much of that anymore. But yeah, it's format dependent. But more importantly, we have to remember that a studio, of which now there's one less, um, the mouse eats yeah. all. Uh, uh, the, the the studios amongst, amongst my friends and such, we're all we're all just like. This is really awesome in some ways, but really sad because it's, it shrinks the market. It's of scary the, because you're you're now consolidating. Now an, an independent um, filmmaker, they have almost nowhere to go. That's right. Well, nowadays. Also, I mean, specifically being Disney and them having certain strictures around what films they do and what they do, there are franchises. There are things we will never explore in uh, in X Men, in Star Wars. Yeah. That. I mean, as they pick up more of these beloved franchises, it's great that they're consolidated, but I mean, the amazing thing to me about X-Men was that it was fundamentally about the civil rights movement, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're never really going to get that story from Disney, yeah, right? Yeah, probably no, not. We're not. Yeah. As, not much unless as, they as, make as much as I'm mother. looking forward to X-Men coming back to, yeah, yeah. Mar to under the Marvel fold, you know, I'm a huge X-Men fan, um, not a big fan of the movies. Um, 
I'm I'm worried about what's going to happen. And yeah. you should be because yeah. a studio's <laughs> be job a studio's job is to make its its make, its board yeah. money. That is a studio's job. The studio's job is to earn money. A studio will earn money by making the most safe bets that it can. That's not to say there aren't inspired people at the studio that mm-hmm. will champion smaller projects. Every studio I have worked for has championed smaller projects at a significant loss because they believed in the, the merits of the filmmaker and the merits of the film and the importance of maintaining a living, breathing, artistic community that inspires and ultimately infuses itself into the bigger industry with techniques that haven't been thought of before, with experimental ideas, with narrative design, all of these things. Any improvement you see on the big screen at your Cinemaplex is because somebody on an 8mm, a 16mm, an HDV, a, you know, or a, you know, a little red mini, they did it first. And that's what inspired the. Okay, you know what? This is cool, and it'll work for everybody else. But we gotta put, um, we gotta put the rock in it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and Vin it just, Diesel. yeah, just Vin Diesel everywhere. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, and that's kind of the reason why we wanted to have this discussion and this panel is because it, you know they are going to look. Disney's gonna own us all, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's sad. But and we will be getting sort of maybe safer things as we go along. But there will still be innovation, even in small wings of it. Oh yeah, we're totally gonna get uh, finally Kingdom Hearts three, and we're gonna have a Luke key saber versus Wolverine key claws fight. It's yeah, be exactly. Twenty twenty innovation. Um, but but I think they I think. Yeah, <laughs> red is in awe. Uh, Mind blown. But they're gonna, they're and, gonna, and Cloud will be in there too. It'll be great. They're gonna, they're gonna. <laughs> since they have been looking for this innovation in sort of uh, some of the right places, most of the wrong places, and they are going to look to what makes the money now. Yeah. And games make the money now. Well, I mean, when we're talking about Bright, we're all aware that Bright is Shadowrun, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, good. Because that's, they're just taking game IP, not actually bothering to license the IP, yeah. and running with it. And, I mean, it's funny because even for people who don't, it's catering... By putting an orc in it, they're catering to a game audience, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, so, lightning round for you at the table. <laughs> okay. Pitch us a gaming idea or, or uh, something from the realm of gaming that could save Hollywood. Oh, man, that's... That's... I agree that that's really, really hard because of the nature of gaming and that you, that interactiveness, that you, it's almost like being an, being an editor. You're an editor of the game because you're able to make choices, which is something you don't, you don't get from a film media where you're just a, you know, you're just a patron, you're an audience member. So try, it's, you know, it's like, I would love to see Mass Effect on the big screen. I'm a huge Mass Effect fan. Sure. It's going to fail. <laughs> because everybody is like... Honestly, you already made the best Mass Effect movie that could be made. That's, and <laughs> exactly, that's the truth of it. Honestly. That's exactly my point. Yeah. You know, well, why? For, for that truth, <laughs> and, and because you, you really enjoyed uh, the scene in Star Wars where the thing went really fast... Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. Oh, I'm, I, this is my favorite moment of all of these. You, my friend, will receive a copy of the Need for Speed Blu-ray. <laughs> yes, yes. We here thank you. Go. you. Uh, the industry thank you thanks much. you. Let's thank get you the next, pa- the next table. Off. You're welcome. Thank you. Hello. 
<laughs> Me too. <laughs> hello, hello. Hi, my name is Phoebe. Sorry that I stealthed in from the back. Um, I'm come from this from a storytelling perspective. Uh, I love movies. I love games. One thing that you guys mentioned is the fact that uh, I think it was James the the post movie coffee shop discussion. The idea that now all of our movies are parsed out, trailers show all the best parts beforehand, we're all hyped up months beforehand. Like I, I have not seen an Infinity War trailer mm -hmm. because I realized fundamentally that my disappointment with so many movies these days is because I feel like I've already seen them. Or they parse out pieces of it to you and then you hype up your expectations and then they are never met. I really wanted to like Bright, it was a clusterfuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with games, I feel like because they have, fundamentally, they have more time, you know, for like yeah. the bigger Bioware RPGs, 60 to 80 to 100, depending on how many side quests, you do hours to explore the world and to get invested in a story. But now, we parse out movies so much beforehand that then all they have is two hours, maybe, three hours if you are um, Christopher Nolan, maybe, <laughs> to grab your attention and make you stay and suck you into the theater. But what Netflix has done with TV shows, they have a little more creative room because it's TV, but they still drop it all at once and then you binge that eight hours and you're done. I don't have a solution for this, but I think part of the problem is audience expectations are always going to be let down, especially if you coddle them as much as movie audiences have been. You also come off as a bit of an elitist prick if you say, I want a little more sophistication though. Well, I I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. and I agree with uh, a lot of with what you're saying. Uh, our co-host again, Shahir, who is not Shahir, here. not here. Shahir, not here. Uh, he would a hundred percent agree. He has now stopped watching all trailers, uh, and 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 that makes me sad. But he's he and you and and people who choose to do this are not wrong. You will get more from Infinity War by not watching the trailer. Fade to black. So fade up. Fade down. Okay, thank you, But the, I'm the, hoping that's one, actually one the whole thing I want to cite. One thing I want to cite real quick about this is uh, Terminator 2: Judgment Day. For those of you, if there's any of you uh, who were alive when it came out in theaters in '91, uh, I didn't realize this. No such thing. Uh, I, I didn't realize this because I was uh, too young to at the at that time. But the trailer for that movie. Did, did you know that when you watch Terminator 2, up to the the, the turning point in the hallway behind the mall. Uh, the way the film is actually set up, it doesn't tell you who the good Terminator is. And the marketing ruined that. You have a whole first film where Arnold is the bad guy. You now have two of them. Arnold's the Terminator again, and now one's dressed as a cop who, depending on, you know, that, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. So you don't know in the film who is, who's going to protect John Connor and who's there to kill him. The trailer, because they wanted to get people into the theater, which they would have gone, just it instantly ruins that moment. And you, I, watching it from that perspective, I would, I, that would have, I mean, the movie blew my mind anyway, but that would have just tossed it into the upper echelon had I not known that going in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, trailers, I want more, I, I, want, I want more mystery if I'm going to keep watching them. Well, we're talking about bringing revenue back to film. It's amusing to me. Who here in this room has ever seen a trailer and be like, oh, that was cool, but I'm not going to watch the film, right? Who's ever not gone to a film because you saw the trailer and like, okay, cool, that's all I need to see of that. Right, like, it's like everybody here has at least once not gone to a movie. I've certainly done it plenty of times where I've seen five minutes of this film and been like, oh, that was an thank you for the mini short, now I'm done. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that we, it's kind of like the graphics arm race in games. 
films shoot themselves in the foot because we've had to up the intensity and the amount that we give away in these trailers because we feel like we have to outcompete each other on our trailers these days. Yeah. And I think that actually, in a lot of cases, uh, in a world where the audience is completely saturated with media, where tens of thousands of games come out of a year, where literally thousands of movies are available to them between Netflix and Hulu and all these other things, we don't have time to consume all the media. And so if the trailer gives away too much, okay, that was all I need to see. I, there, there are plenty of films where I've been able to have a conversation with my friends about the film by simply watching the trailer. Yeah. You, know, you know, we have the power to solve this. No, oh, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. We're, it's just out of our hands. <laughs> okay, so the power to solve this is simple. Nowadays, a trailer comes out, the first thing we do is go to YouTube and either we like or dislike. We express our opinions. You should just auto-dislike all trailers. No. <laughs> no, you, you got to be a bit more sophisticated like that. Flame you, them in the comments. Yes. All right, good. Absolute, total flame. I mean, like, just a, a full <laughs> troll job. Right. Okay. Now, Get banned from YouTube. But yeah. what you need to do is you need to saturate the comments with your displeasure about the trailers. When I was talking about the audience has the power now to curate your future, I'm... Deadly yeah. serious. If you decide, oh, I, you know, it's fun because I'm just going to hate on this one one movie. You you may have killed uh, a movie and several people's careers, or you may have raised up these people because right now that like button and those comments carry a lot of weight in the mid-level level executive rooms. Those mid-level executive rooms go to the top-tier executive rooms and say. Our marketing shows us the following. Intern, tell us what marketing says. Got a lot of likes. Got a lot of dislikes. Well, this is going to impact us. This is going to be the information that they're going to be basing stuff off of. We have focus groups. We have hidden metrics. And we have the loud popular opinion. What's been the discussion in the film, uh, in the film industry for the past three years? Good. Glad you've been paying attention. The big discussion is this. Critics don't know the audiences anymore. So it's about time the audience raises up and says, this is what we want, this is what we like. Let the filmmakers know. Let the people who make decisions know, I don't want trailers that spoil my movie. Yeah. And yeah. And also... I'm so happy. I know. He's also running for office. Um... The, and it's also voting with your dollars. We've talked about that a couple times on this show before. It's like, you know, we all, you know, for, for, the, amount of, um, for the amount of dislike, whether you loved or hated uh, Last Jedi, it, what is it, number four of all time release or something like that? Like, yeah, they, I mean, obviously Star Wars, but even uh, Justice League, if you were disappointed in that, that still makes, that still makes money. And it's it's every Transformers film. Every transform. Although I think this one is starting the downslide. Took five of them. Um, so wait, real quick, and then we have time for one more table. I, I want to see swords, I, dinosaurs. That was the bad I one. I know. I want to see if you uh, what what would be your solution? Even going down the rabbit hole of we were talking about the trailer portion of your thing, but uh, Netflix and streaming and binging. What what is the solution? What should Hollywood do? To combat the like streaming to get people back in theaters, or or just just to get to make movies better for to make you, make movies better. Yeah. Something this is very generic, but something new. Like I don't I don't see movies in theaters anymore. Um, I went to see The Shape of Water. I was brutally disappointed in Justice League, but they have to find the one thing like Edge of Tomorrow. 
I love that movie. I adore it. I love that it took one piece of game mechanic and made a plot point. And the way that we've talked, you know, you've talked about um, the the visual cues that we use in video games and finding a way to translate them into movies that are actually good. Like, you know, Hardcore Henry, okay, Mother did something subtle and drew you in. They have to look for the visual cues, the cues that make sitting in a theater for two hours feel like it was worth all the hype they built up to it. Or they need to stop the hype and trust their audiences to be a little more sophisticated and to bring something new that's not just for the sake of newness, but looking at something that game stories have done well and thought, how can I translate this to video games? Like uh, Dragon Age, when the final DLC and Trespasser came out, spoilers, I was a soulless romancer. I was horrified to find out that the person I got attached to was a villain. If more movies were able to put in the time to, to pull off a twist like that that wasn't meaningless, and that was within the confines of the time they'd given themselves, we would have stories that are more original and more fun because I don't want to feel like I'm seeing something recycled. Like Shape of Water, it's The Little Mermaid. Did that make me enjoy it any less? No, because it was completely original. Yeah, well, I, and I, I, I agree with a lot of that and, and specifically the things you said about taking the time to, to uh, actually let those things happen naturally. Speaking of time, we are almost out. No, well that, no, no, we got one more. That's 100%. You're right. But I have a, a gift for you as well for your answer. Uh, it, you know, there's a game mechanic. I don't know if it worked quite well, but it does have to do with time. Bam! Prince of Persia. Right there. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. We, we got go. three minutes. Fix Hollywood with gaming tr things. Go. So um, a lot of the thing, a lot of um, kind of what the problems that I, I think um, that... Hollywood has with these um, like original films is that sometimes we don't get really invested into these universes um, like with Bright. Um, and one thing I see with games is that um, we have a lot of expanded universe material. Like with Overwatch, you had the animated shorts that came out before the game. Those things got you invested in the universe and they were like, oh, I like what's going on mm -hmm. here before the game even came out. So I think um, like in as an alternative to trailers, this would definitely like be more expensive. But um, like, make short films about your movie that take place in the universe of your movie, and get audiences like enthralled with what's happening in this universe and what's happening to these characters. And those um, like short films would be stories in themselves. Um, the Matrix shorts. Yeah, the Animatrix yeah. was the first thing that came to mind. A lot of things. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yeah. Blade Runner yes. World building, yeah, and and the short films might be might be a very good way to do that. If 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 it became more of a public lexicon thing, like we all know about these things because they're properties a lot of times that we care about, uh, and, and that's why we know about the extra stuff. If they pushed the extra stuff a little bit more, that might uh, that might do do something to that effect. Well, um, uh, oh, sorry, what? Oh, I was just thinking how interesting it is on the flip side. I have outside of like actual film festivals, I've never seen an hour and a half of short films in a theater, right? Yeah, and a curated list of those things right. might, might do very well. I mean, like, yeah. But which actually might, I mean, in a world where we have a YouTube audience who's expecting 10 minutes things, you might actually do better with uh, 15 things in the same world at 10 minutes apiece. Yeah. Here, here, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much for that question. The thing I feel like, uh, and this is more for everybody who's, who's uh, who's helped out with sort of answering this question. You have undoomed Hollywood, I feel, at least to a certain point. You, my friend, however... Undoomed. Are doomed. <laughs> Bad puns, Blu-rays. 
Everybody, thank you so yeah, much for like coming out. For coming. We are the only podcast about movies. If you want to write into us, we're at the only movie podcast at gmail.com or only movie pod on Twitter. And this has been an amazing panel. Thank you yeah, so much. And uh, thanks to James for uh, thanks to James for coming us. and helping we us really out with the game it. angle. Thank you. Thank you.